0: I'm Imogen Roy
1: Smith. I'm David Bank. I'm Brian Walsh. And this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. On today's show, impact and ESG have gone mainstream. Now what? From BlackRock to Goldman Sachs to Bank of America to essentially every bank and asset manager, environmental, social, and governance factors are now the new thing. Epic sea change in finance or fiddling while Australia burns? What really needs to change for the shift in investor sentiment to translate into a shift in global direction? Imogen, what's new in this recent round of announcements and why now?
0: Those those are both excellent questions, Brian. You know, we, we just had Davos. We've seen a, a series of announcements from major financial institutions, particularly relating to climate change and what they plan on doing. Larry Fink just did his annual letter, you know, telling CEOs what he thinks and so, in some ways, there is nothing new about this, right? For the last two or three years, we've seen the same sort of drumbeat of ESG friendly announcements, particularly from major organizations like, you know, BlackRock, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. And on the other hand, there does seem to be, and I think genuinely is, something new and different that is taking place. You know, I think, for example, that some of these announcements, I, I'm t- I tend to be very Cynical and grumpy about these announcements. Again, you know, you have a lot of institutions that, you know, say on the one hand, look, look at all these amazing green things we're doing, whilst you know, for example, continuing to finance fossil fuel initiatives. But I do think that there is more teeth to some of what they're saying. There is more reason for optimism. For example, I think the Goldman Sachs coming out and saying that it won't take companies public if they don't have at least one woman on the board is important. You know, there's a lot of caveats to that. They're really only talking about, you know north america and europe but i think that when we think about diversity and those issues particularly as they relate to tech and silicon valley that's a big deal so i think you're you're seeing announcements that are more meaningful and also this recognition by pretty much every asset manager more or less every bank out there that esg is important it's something that's central to what they do and they have to, well they have to figure out how to talk about it and how to how to do it well and how to put resources behind it i think the issue is that two of the main issues are one they know esg is important they have no clue how to do it well and i think that there's still a lot of questions around how to do esg investment successfully that they're only starting to nibble around the edges of and then are they really putting the commitment and resources behind this and yeah, are they? You know what? What they're not willing to do is change the way they do the rest of their, the rest of their business, right? The, the 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 broader, deeper issues that we're talking about here: climate change, social inequality. These are things that that have been created and driven over the past, you know, what do you want to say? Like basically, they've accelerated over the past three decades to the point where we are now, and many of the institutions. That are now coming up and saying, you know, yes, ESG is important. We're instrumental in facilitating those issues. So for them to to now turn around and be like, oh my God, you know, social inequality, who knew? Well, we're all hanging out here in Davos, you know, shipping champagne and flying in on our private jets. Like that's part of the problem. And you know, I think the danger is that a lot of these individuals and organisations want to have their cake and eat it, and rather than recognise the need for true transformation.
1: So, David, it it sounds like Imogen is saying that there is this recognition that change is clearly necessary and that finance and the capital markets have a role to play and that there's that kind of groundswell of understanding of that. But perhaps uh, the the companies and the investors that are stepping into the breach uh, aren't doing much beyond tinkering around the edges of the status quo. Uh, What's your take?
2: Well, Brian, there's two main buckets of reasons that these asset managers give for adopting these ESG or impact strategies. One, and this is the by far the largest one, is client demand. The second one is you know actual fundamental, you know, material things going on in the world, whether that's you know all the evidence of climate change, or as Imogen says, um, people in the streets around social inequality, or, or, or or other things, and so those you know sort of macro trends that they see going going forward. Um, but mostly they're being driven by what their clients are telling them. And these are not just retail clients in your 401k. These are also big major institutional investors who are saying, we want you to manage our money in a way that um, takes into account, you know, the risks that, that we're facing and that also, you know, our stakeholders and and, and and all that stuff. So basically they're under pressure. This is more a signal you know, these announcements are, I, I see, as more a signal of the pressure they face than of their any any kind of virtue that they've or, or even, you know, <laughs> epiphany or moral conscience that they may have 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 developed recently after, as as Imogen said, you know, several or many decades of of extractive and, and, and exploitive practices. So but it is interesting as a signal of that pressure. So there are. Um, changes going on in the way that, you know, the owners of capital want to see their capital managed. And, and so um, uh, I don't think, you know, that the numbers being thrown around are very impressive. Even, you know, the $750 billion that Goldman Sachs pledged to invest over 10 years to a certain, you know, set of sustainable investments, that's effectively $75 billion a year there's a something like a two and a half trillion dollar gap in the in the you know in in financing the sustainable development goals b of a's commitment was a 300 billion over 10 years you know so these are not making big dents in the actual financing needed so at that level they are tinkering around the edges you know the esg measurements are basically help investors find the least worst companies avoid the biggest, you know, risks. Um, They don't essentially drive new capital or new resources to the to the solution. So I would say that there's a whole large step beyond all of this yet to go. On the other hand, I do think that the, you know, putting some of these mechanisms in place, measurements, you know, uh, analytics, whatnot, is a building block you know, as we've said many times on this, you know, uh, on the show, it's it's all necessary. Is it is it fast enough? Um, is the real question.
1: And so, you know, change comes about. There's an old saying that change comes about when people either see the light or they feel the heat. And so, Imogen, do you think that uh, these these announcements and these different changes and different initiatives from the mainstream uh, capital markets is this about them seeing the light or feeling the heat?
0: I think the number that matters here. The number that people that that finance is paying attention to is the fact that there was twenty point six billion dollars of inflows into ESG ETFs in twenty nineteen, right? Like that is a huge wake up call to the industry. One of the reasons that the industry hadn't hadn't really moved before is because they didn't think there was money to be made in this wishy washy thing called ESG, and all of a sudden, capital's flowing into it. I mean, there was like the for the, the majority of time before 2015, there was less than five billion a year of inflows into ESG ETFs, right? So the fact that there is money to be made, the fact that there is investment happening in this space, that is a, a huge deal for the financial services industry. and that's you know that's what turns the wheels of business for them. So that is both a carrot and a stick, right? We need to make money. This is somewhere to make money. Let's go and find the gold in those hills. Um, also, you know, some of that money, some of that capital is going to flow into places that are needed for impact. I mean, in a sense, David, what you're doing is making the distinction between ESG and impact. And I do I do agree with you on many, on many levels. And ESG is more of a risk mitigant do no harm than it necessarily is a, you know, find the positives. But when we're talking about, you know, stuff like green bonds and other, you know, I know, carbon credits, there is a bunch of investing that's starting to happen from the sort of mainstream ESG community that is forcing capital to be allocated towards the things that we all agree it needs to go towards, sort of, you know, sustainable development goals, more, more impactful initiatives. So... To this question of is it just tinkering around the edges something that is exciting here and i think is a big change is that you are starting to see esg and impact and the questions that sort of this movement asks really penetrate the plumbing of capital markets so again historically i think one of the big issues has been that it has not done that there will be some like you know i know social impact bond that was really expensive and like is very small and that it it it's only targeted to a very small group of investors. Now you're starting to see you know real questions about how is money market funds that that actually you know have ESG values. You're starting to see it really be a part of what businesses do. Um what finance does. And I think that is that's going to be an important shift.
2: I think there's another aspect to that. And actually, I agree with you yet again, Imogen, um, because one of the, you know, ESG essentially, impact, you know, this is not hard and fast, but impact generally had been in private markets where it was seen that impact investors could could have some you know additionality or di- additional impact in backing ventures and whatnot. And ESG, as you said, is has generally been seen as a public equities market kind of um, analysis and helped you identify companies that did well on their environmental performance and that had decent working conditions. That was the S part generally. And then G was governance, as you said, with, you know, diversity on boards and other kinds of factors. But that was mainly seen as, as public equities. And so the question had always been, you know, where can you find any impact in public equities markets? They're so large and liquid and any given investor doesn't really have that much say and they're just going to kind of do what they do and therefore not really that interesting from an impact point of view. Had been, I think for, you know, most of the time I've been covering this field, the sort of general conventional wisdom. Now I think that's changed. And as you said, the actual positive impact of companies is being starting to be valued because that positive impact means they are identifying growth markets of the future that are gonna become uh the, 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 the revenue and profit centers, as you said, of the next of the next period. And so you know, we, we, we've we been trying to, to, to find these companies where it's not just that they, you know, use a little bit less energy or have a little bit less waste or have a little bit better, um, you know, you know, benefits or, or whatnot, all of which is good, but that companies that actually their entire mission, their entire purpose is dedicated to, say, helping cl- farmers, you know, weather climate change or helping um, big entities, you know, u- universities or airports or, or college campuses, uh, you know, um, hospitals um, radically, you know, you know, get off the grid, you know, go, go net zero, you know, this year, um, the, those kinds of things where their business is actually, you know, directly related to any, you know, something we would all agree was, was impact. And those companies are starting to start to find that they are getting valued for that because those are the growth markets of the future. So when that mechanism kicks in, I do think we might have, have a drivetrain to changing the actual world.
1: So is that is that a matter of companies and investors responding to market incentives, so that they are kind of feeling the heat of market incentives, and so they are rationally responding to those incentives as opposed to uh, seeing the light and and uh, kind of on their own volition coming to to understand that. Well, there's a
2: right. There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground. Which is what? Because, which is anticipating what. They think might be the public, you know, manda- the, the 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 policy mandate or or the or the or the market pressure, and trying to be in the front of that line as opposed to the back of that line, and um, and there's some advantage to being the front of that line in terms of. You know, in the classic case, writing down some stranded fossil fuel assets, or um, be you know capturing this this ESG uh, uh fund inflow, as as Imogen said, which which was you know truly remarkable. So, so a lot of folks in the asset management and investment world have been saying in the just the last you know couple couple months that something really did change in their shops in the last three, four months. And that all of a sudden, you know, strategies that had sat on the shelf, you know, memos they had written, you know, initiatives, all of a sudden they're getting like, you know, hey, let's do that now. Let's announce that now. We want, we got to get this out the door. So all of a sudden, you know, there's a big, I think, hiring frenzy going on. There's just a bunch of activity going on and all these to, to get ahead of this thing that they know is coming. So it hasn't, I don't think that it's yet been a firm policy mandate, but there's some kind of feeling that that policy mandates coming, that customer demand is coming, we better be ready for it. And that creates its own kind of race and and, and, and competition. Um, so we're, we've been saying that sustainability is the disruptive force in asset management, just like you know technology was a disruptive force 20 years ago. Now sustainability is a disruptive force. And when you see the disruptive force coming,
1: you know, you scramble. And how will we know whether this is the new normal or this is a passing fad?
0: It's all about your timeline, right? Like... If a year from now everyone is talking about I don't know disruptive technologies, then this was a passing fad. But we, I mean, this has already been going on on a low level for the past decade, right? We're now we're building on that work, and it's gonna, you know, it it's going to ebb and flow, but the, the basics are there. That doesn't mean it's going to be implemented well, right? I think you know maybe this is. You know the the end of the beginning, but there's a, there's an incredibly long way to go. and it's you know that the 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 danger is everyone implements it badly, right? The danger is that it's a box digging exercise. Everybody just goes and gets shitty MSCI data, plugs it in, and calls it a day, and that that this doesn't truly become integrated with finance and investing and the mechanisms of capital markets. You know, if, if if that's all that happens, then it's really just business as normal. And this is just sort of another department. It's, it, it's, it's, it's effectively an extension of, of marketing and communications. The hope is that what we're seeing is really a, a fundamental shift in how we think about capital and capitalism. And that we've kind of moved from, you know, if you had to sort of the... Business of companies is to make money for its shareholders' era. Era, then you had the sort of you know the the Wall Street greed is good era. In a sense, it seems like what's happened is is there has been this post two thousand and eight reckoning that finance was destructive, and that maybe instead of just thinking about you know how much money prop traders should make for themselves, we should start thinking about like how we can use these tools to both profit and benefit sort of the society long term and the sustainable economy, right? And so if that shift is really happening, then that's exciting. If all we're doing is just window dressing for like, you know, a handful of billionaires to get a little more rich, then it's just really scary and depressing and societal problems are going to get worse.
2: I think what you're asking, Brian, is the proverbial tipping point question, right? Which is wh- how does it actually, you know, move from, you know, it, you know, it, whether whether it's genuine or not, we're in some kind of, you know. Uh, you know, balancing act right now and you know which way does it go kind of thing and 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 the question is how does it go in the direction where the sustainable and inclusive future is, you know is every you know everything points to that where it's not some some rearguard battle to eke out these small gains. And I think the way that happens, and it's kind of interesting is say you've made some bets on the on this new value proposition that we're just describing, right? Then you're actually, incentivized to make those bets pay off. So you actually become kind of a lobby or a kind of a, an, a, 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 an interest group, so to speak. So, we, you know, we've sometimes joked about like the sustainable industrial complex, right? Like there's starting to be a group of investors and, and certainly companies and, but, but also investors and others that say, Hey, I've made a bet that of the low carbon on the low carbon future um And it's going to pay off only if we really get to the low carbon future, because then my, you know, low carbon technology is going to be really in demand or something. Right. So I want to then drive everybody to the low carbon future because that's good for my business. I'm now a lobbyist for that low carbon future. And I think what we're getting to is a a reasonable, you know, I wouldn't say it's the majority in any way, but it's at least a, you know, sort of reasonable minority of investors who are now have considerable stakes on that side of the ledger. So I think there's a constituency of capital. There's certainly a popular constituency and, you know, that that plays some role in it too. people in the streets, I think, are actually very important right now. But take those two things together, top down, bottom up and, you know, a new kind of, you know, um, pressure, pressure politics around this kind of um, more sustainable future um, because it will make these bets pay off.
1: In the classic technology adoption curve, right, you have the, the innovators, and then the early adopters, and then the early majority, the late majority, and then the laggards, right? That's the classic technology adoption life cycle or adoption curve. And there's this concept of the chasm, where you have to cross the chasm from the innovators into the early adopters. And it, it sounds like, from what uh, you both are saying, is that we are at the uh, somewhere in the early majority right that we we might be at the beginning of the early majority or the end of the early majority uh, when it comes to impact and esg uh and getting towards the late majority right um is that let me just stop right there is that is that fair that you think we're somewhere in the early majority and if so where are we in the, on Why that are you curve? talking
2: capital allocation or are you talking sort of popular sentiment or you know what what early majority of what
1: let's say uh ad- ad- adoption of uh, the practice of incorporating impact and ESG uh, analytics into investment decisions.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's an adoption curve as much as a you know sort of more of an innovator's dilemma. Actually, hat tip to the the, the late great Clay Christensen who just passed away, um, and how markets tip. And I think there's a lot of evidence that in in a whole variety of markets we're now reaching the. The, the, the point at which the previously you know it, it sort of irrelevant you know you know fr- fringe I- innovation whether that's a financial innovation or lit- or literally a tech innovation or a, even a social innovation but that those things are now reaching the point where they become the new growth story in that market and eventually become the the new majority so it's 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 I guess maybe that maybe it's a it's an adoption curve, but it's also kind of this tipping point idea. And I think we're we're, we're starting to see those now.
0: I agree with David. Um, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going long enough, right? Um, I think that we're clearly at the middle to late adoption phase. If you're just asking the simple questions of managers using esg analytics right you now particularly if you want to market to institutions in europe if you're if you're a equity private equity maybe fixed income manager you pretty much have to be at least talking about the idea of using esg data
2: i think you're totally right about that image and i hear that you know that it's gone from you know the the impact funds or the 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 private equity you know the real assets folks you know proposing sustainability to the investors to the investors demanding that they have a very rigorous you know measurement system and the whole thing and they're they're now on the other end of that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's almost it's it's in Europe it seems like table stakes exactly. right now.
0: Um, but you know, as I say that that is that is not the same as actually being a smart ESG investor, right? So, and I think the dangerous is that we're very much in a box ticking time and then it's just proving it you wheel out the esg person they say whatever and then you know you've ticked that box Uh, i like david's analysis of sort of the tipping point i don't think we're there yet and i think that 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 what you really need to see is you know i know the thomas dyers the larry finks the i don't know calpers of this world yes putting real capital behind particularly renewables and clean energy initiatives so that so that so that that momentum starts to really accelerate and i don't you know there's there's still a lot of skepticism about that i'm not sure we're there yet and the the struggle is still that there's a lot of money to be made in fossil fuel and related assets so i don't think that tipping point has come but i think some kind of mainstreaming has happened that can help move that process along, will it do so quickly enough? You know, we we still need those bold leaders to stand up and say, Yes, this is what I'm gonna do. And I I don't it, it sort of feels like the herd has moved in an important way, but that that acceleration hasn't has yet to happen.
2: I think to your earlier question Brian about w- how will we know? I mean we're still seeing uh, uh carbon levels rise uh, I think we're still seeing income inequality rise so I think we need to start seeing actual you know material change in direction at the real world level um at, you know at, and then we'll know that this um uh, atmos- you know atmospherics in the in the at the announcement level you know actually is translating into something
0: When you see companies like saying no to businesses that are still profitable, right? Like it's one thing to say, oh, I'm not going to finance any coal assets any longer, right? It's another thing to say, I'm going to turn down doing business in Saudi Arabia because of its record on human rights and its treatment of women, right? Like that's that's not happening yet.
1: Careful, Imogen, or you'll get your phone hacked. (laughs) Back to the this idea of the adoption curve and thinking of this as a technology, right? Cause the classic adoption curve is in crossing the chasm and that whole notion is this nice, beautiful curve and it's talking about how technology spreads and thinking about impact investing and ESG analytics as a technology. And what, what do we, what does that mean to say that this is a technology that is spreading? Not saying that the amount of assets under management has gotten to uh, you know the early majority or late majority i don 't think we 're there yet, and certainly n- not getting to a place where the state of the world uh and and uh the, the amount of carbon in the atmosphere and the amount of uh, inequality in our society is getting to a place where you can see the real uh, <laughs> real movement on that, but getting to the adoption of this approach that would be a i think an early indicator that that we would be making ultimate progress on um uh, on things like climate and things like inequality. So this, this notion of ESG and impact investing as a technology, I think that it, it is past the early adopters and it is somewhere in the early majority. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, it, it has become not a passing fad, but a, something that has uh, gained a lot of momentum within mainstream uh, companies, mainstream asset managers, mainstream banks, Uh, in the mainstream capital markets that that this technology is necessary and people are staffing up, David, as you pointed out, and people are trying to uh, demonstrate that they have this capacity. Um, and as, as we've, we've noted that, you know, in, in Europe, uh, it's kind of table stakes to be able to, to say that you incorporate ESG uh, analytics into your investment decision making. Um, it's in parts of Asia, especially Japan. It's, it's, it's growing in importance. I think the U.S. as a whole is slightly behind Europe. Uh, uh, but that's just not my opinion. That's my observation uh, of, of the, the state of the market right now. But as a technology adoption what does that mean i
2: think you're i think you're exactly right brian and there is a technology to it i mean it's essentially you know there's a sort of algorithm that 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 crunches through you know data pre- previously you know primarily financial data now including you know these other you know so-called non-financial factors like environmental social and governance factors and that, that those factors have now been added to this you know this great you know data crunching optimization machine that spits out um, investment decision making, you know, so it's it's it is being included. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, detail and you know methodology to be worked out. But as people start competing on that basis, as as we've been saying, then that you know creates its own uh, momentum for 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 solving these. These methodology problems and and people actually compete on that as well, and you're seeing a lot of consolidation and, and, and investment in the analytics, you know, companies and and the and the data uh, providers and that sort of thing. So I think that's just to, to the same point that a constituency, ha, you know, now exists and that constituency, you know, wants to reproduce itself and expand, and so that's you know that's all to the good.
0: But I think the problem is is that we're not seeing enough innovation around the data actually, and I think that, you know. My concern is that, that that I think I think that thinking about this as a technology is useful up until a point, but it's, it's also dangerous because I think that there is a lack of innovation in terms of like really consuming and understanding, and more importantly, paying for data. Like I don't see the consolidation of the ESG data companies. As necessarily being a good I think what it means is you're seeing a race to the bottom in terms of how much people are willing to pay for this information and that what investors have not yet figured out is what is good high quality information that is going to drive good high quality investment decisions I think right now this is more I think this is an idea that has taken root I don't think it's a technology that has taken root and I think that the danger is that 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 it that it is just marketing, and that it isn't there is that it doesn't sort of become embedded, truly deeply embedded in in what finance is and how it operates.
1: All right. Well, with that, uh, I think uh, appropriate uh, dose of pessimism, or let's call it pragmatism, uh, into the conversation. Uh, I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up. Thank you, Imogen, and thank you, David. Thank you both. Thank you, both. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at Impact Alpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company, Liquinet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.